As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead, who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him, because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Are you looking forward to the summer? Perhaps you're looking forward to being set free, let loose for the lifting of restrictions. Perhaps you're looking forward to just a little bit better weather, finer times, an opportunity to sit and to enjoy in the garden and to, to work on your tan. I'm definitely looking forward to both of those things, but let me tell you what I'm really looking forward to this summer. And it's something that I look forward to every summer actually. That is my brother and his family coming home. If you didn't know already, um, my name's Sammy. I'm one of the pastors here at Anford Evangelical Church. And my immediate family consists of my parents, uh, my younger sister who lives nearby, and my brother who for the last decade or so has lived in Dubai. And one of the things you should know already, I guess, about Dubai is that it is a much warmer climate than we enjoy in the UK. And that means in the summer especially, the temperatures can reach some pretty scintillating numbers. Um, we're talking mid-40s during the day, still only getting as cool as low 30s in the evening. So one of the habits, one of the routines that my brother and his family have established over the last decade is every summer when the weather really peaks out there and becomes honestly too hot for sensitive British folks like us to make the journey home to come and to visit our family in Llanady and uh, the family-in-law over in Swansea. And that's great because we get to spend some really quality time together to see my brother, his wife, their kids, to catch up, to enjoy one another's company. Last summer, of course, that journey didn't happen. A number of reasons, they just had a new baby, um, but mainly COVID restrictions, difficulties flying from one place to another. Rules in our country, rules in their country, just made that journey impossible. And so a couple of months ago, they started planning this year's summer trip home. And well, as you may know, if you've been watching the news or, or, or reading up on such things, international travel still isn't a very easy thing. Um, there are numerous obstacles. There are numerous things which stand in their way in terms of making that simple journey from Dubai home 
to visit the family. They've got to take tests before they leave. They've got to take tests when they arrive. They've got to quarantine for certain periods of time. The plan was that they were going to travel to the UK via another country. Um, Portugal, I think, to begin with was the first plan. But as I understand it now, that's kind of gone out the window. Could it be a Greek island? Could it be this? Could it be that? It's not a straightforward journey. They're going to have to go somewhere else in order to get home and they're going to have to go through things in order to experience that seeing, that being with, that enjoying the family when they finally arrive. My brother has as his desired destination South Wales, home with his family. But to get there he's going to have to or head off in various directions, even just simply saying he's going to need to drive to the airport, get on a plane and things like that, as well as experience certain things like the tests and the isolation or what have you. Meaning that that long journey with a, with a simple destination at the end is quite a complex thing to, to look at and to describe. Well, I wonder what you'd say if I sat you down today was Jesus's journey? What is Jesus's destination? If someone was to sit you down and to ask you to explain where was Jesus heading, what answer would you give? Well, I actually did this earlier today with JP and his answer was very much not about postcodes, locations of where Jesus was going, but it was sort of more <laughs> ethereal. It was so, sort of more um, reality Based, uh, as in the, the, the nature, the, the type of place where Jesus was heading. Uh, he brought to mind um, scriptures, uh, Isaiah 9, I think it is, for, for to us a, a child is born, one who is going to rule and reign. The, the government will be on his shoulders. That's where Jesus was heading, to, to a place, to a position of power and rule and authority. He spoke about things like um, Jesus brings up in Luke chapter 4 about proclaiming freedom to those who are in captivity, um, release to those who are oppressed, good news to those who are poor, sight to the blind. When John was put in the hot seat, quite literally over there, um, and asked that question, it was, it was that sort of answer that he leant towards. I wonder what your answer would be. All that we've learned so far as we've made our way through Luke's gospel, as we've come to, to know Jesus more in Luke's retelling of his life, what would your answer be? As we've seen and heard this one who does proclaim good news to the poor, who does offer freedom to those who are in captivity, who is this doctor come to make sick people healthy once more? How would you describe his journey, especially his destination, his goal? Well, wipe the cold sweat from your brow. I'm not going to corner you in an Amford coffee shop this week and sit you down and test you and quiz you on how much you've been paying attention. Because actually, I think what's most useful for us is to go, is to turn to those who have contemplated that question before us, those who have come to strong and settled and accurate conclusions and to learn from them and to, to see in their answers and to understand for ourselves.
For example, I want us this morning to consider a passage that has already been read to us by John, uh, Philippians chapter 2. How the earliest church understood Jesus' journey, the places that he had to go through in order to reach his final destination. This is what it says in Philippians chapter 2. Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself. He assumed the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself even further. He became obedient even to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And for this reason, for this reason, God highly exalted him. And gave him the name that is above every name. So that at that name, Jesus, every knee would bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Do you see the journey there? How it begins with Christ in glory. The eternal Son with the eternal Father and the eternal Spirit. Only there's a descent in that journey. There's a heading away from glory from home from that throne that rule that reign that position that he occupies it's a journey of descent into our into our filth into our fragility into our mess of a world even into death on a cross but that wasn't the journey's end according to the earliest church no there was from there an ascent arise and not just rising to life again but rising once more to to glory and to enthronement did you see it the father lifting jesus up to have that name that honor at which every knee every knee no matter where you turn bows and kneels at that name that's one place we could go to to look to try and understand and to see and to answer the question where was jesus heading he was heading to glory to enthronement to to fame and majesty he was heading actually home how about the letter to the hebrews um uh, in this passage in this portion of encouraging saints to to suffer well to struggle well to persevere to press on when things are pressing in against them the author writes this the author encourages them again to look to jesus christ who who what for the joy that was set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you see the journey there again? What, the journey of Jesus, one who came and who suffered and who died and who rose to life again, but ultimately was heading to glory, to enthronement. That was the end, wasn't it? That was the, the joy that's being spoken of, set before Jesus, the, the ultimate goal, the destination to be sat once more with the Father in heaven, the restoration of his rule and his reign and his authority over all things. How about in the Gospel of Luke itself, where we've been trying to to root ourselves this year, where we've been trying to spend our time in order to get to know Jesus more? 
Well, we don't need to look any further than Luke chapter 9, verse 51. This is what Luke wrote. As the time approached for him, Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Where's the destination? Where is all of this heading? You'd be forgiven, I think, for giving the answer, um, Jerusalem, because it speaks of him heading deliberately, resolutely. Um, the old Hebrew idiom is setting his face like flint towards Jerusalem. You'd be forgiven for thinking or for answering that that was the destination, that was the goal, that was the, the place that Jesus was heading. But it's not. It's not, is it? Stop, let me read it again. Keep your eyes open, keep your ears open. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. You see, again, the journey is pictured like this. The destination is described like this. Jesus is heading for something more, something greater. Jesus is heading for ascension, for glory, for enthronement. Earlier in chapter 9, in that discussion that Jesus had with Moses and Elijah, it was described as his departure, his exodus. It's because he has that goal, that destination in mind, says Luke, that he is heading resolutely towards Jerusalem. You see, the path that Jesus was on did go via Jerusalem and with it, by implication, Calvary and the cross and his death and his rising to life again. But the ultimate goal was his enthronement, was his being lifted up out, not just of the grave, but out in front of all creation as the creator, sustainer, saviour of all things. That was the answer that the early church, that the apostle Paul, that Luke, the doctor, came to the conclusion of the question, where was Jesus headed? What was his destination? What was his goal? Philippians' death on the cross was the waypoint on the journey to glory. In Hebrews, the cross was something to move through towards that goal. And literally, literally, Jesus here is seen as one who is heading to glory via Jerusalem. And as if to illustrate that point, Luke shows us the, the first steps now that Jesus takes on that journey. The first steps to Jerusalem, to glory. And it's a picture, it's a symbol of the, the whole journey, if you like, a journey of rejection, a journey of suffering, a journey ultimately of death. It says this, he sent messages to go on ahead of him, who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading to Jerusalem. It strikes me that there's a, there's a danger. There's a danger we might face when we cling to partial stories. That stories that aren't finished or fully fleshed out do us no good at all. You see, when his disciples encountered that rejection in Samaria, they had in their minds this idea that Jesus was on his way to enthronement. Enthronement 
in Jerusalem as if that was the goal, that was the destination. And so in their minds, they, they thought the path should be more, more like a victory parade than anything else. And so how do they respond? They turn to Jesus and they say, Lord, shall we call down fire from heaven to destroy these people? How dare they stand in your way? How dare they suggest that you shouldn't walk this path to glory? They only had part of the story. They sort of understood the final destination, the Messiah come, the Christ crowned, the King enthroned but they had no idea where Jesus had to go, the, the sort of path that needed to be walked to get there. Like my story of my brother and his family coming home. You know, the picture, the idea, yes, he's coming home to see his family, but no idea of the, the journey that is necessary, um, the steps that need to be taken, the, the things that need to be endured in order to achieve that. I wonder, do we, do we reject the necessity of the cross? Do we say that Jesus, yes, we want you to be enthroned, but no, you should never have to endure anything. If we do, we do so at the rebuke of the one we call king, because in the very next verse it says this, Jesus turned and he rebuked them. They only had a partial story and it would do them no good. I suppose you could flip it on its head though, and this would probably speak into most of our situations, more, more likely to be an error we'd encounter in our little community, where we stop at the cross. We go no further and we can't suppose that Jesus does either. We only follow the story as far as Jesus' death and, and his resurrection and the forgiveness that we get from that. And we, we leave it at that. It's like walking out of a film before the film has reached its conclusion. We miss out. We don't see the whole story. We don't see the whole picture. We don't see that Jesus' journey was from glory to glory. A journey through life and death and back to life eternal once more. That is Jesus' journey. That is Jesus's destination and it's so important because it speaks to each and every one of our journeys or our potential journeys anyway if we choose to follow him. After all we've already read in Luke's gospel that a student is not above their teacher but everyone who's fully trained will be like their teacher and Jesus's path, Jesus's journey, Jesus's destination for those who follow him is our journey. It's our path. It's our destination. You know, it's so important that we have right expectations about what life is like following after Jesus because wrong expectations can absolutely devastate us. They can wreck us. Let me give you a silly example. It's, it's, it's like when you, you go and you're invited out to a wedding and you're told uh, that the wedding breakfast is at 5 p.m., and you have this expectation that that means you're going to eat at 5 p.m. And let me tell you, as someone who has been invited to a number of weddings before, that's never the case. If it says wedding breakfast at 5 p.m., then you can be sure you are not eating before half past six, seven o'clock. That wrecks me when I turn up to such an event and my expectation is all square. 
We need to have that right expectation of what it is to follow after Jesus. We need to see his journey in its entirety and see what that means for our journey in its entirety. Because so often, so often we want to shortcut it. So often we want the journey to finish early or we want to rush towards the end. And that's not a new phenomenon. James and John wanted to to rush to the end. They wanted to have that enthronement without any of the, the struggle and the suffering. They wanted to find life in Jesus without enduring death. And not just James and John. Apparently there were others. There were lots of others who wanted to follow after Jesus, but in a very romanticized way of thinking about it. Verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. I like that, that story, that idea of where you go, so will I. Jesus replies, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It's a warning from Jesus that following him is a guarantee that you will go without it's a guarantee that in some respects, at least, you will be in want. That rather than gaining all things, you will need to forego all things. Jesus then turns and he says to him, another man, follow me. And this other man says to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Seems reasonable. But Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. You go. You proclaim the kingdom of God. Lord Jesus, I'm willing to follow you as long as it fits into my structures, my priorities, as long as it doesn't impact into um, my customs and, and my sensible way of living. And Jesus says, no, following me will take precedent over all things. Still another turns to Jesus and says, I will follow you, Lord, when the time is right. First, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replies, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, look, this isn't a, a second thought. This isn't a third thought. This isn't a, a low down priority. When you choose to follow me, you are choosing to walk the path that I walk. Jesus is desperate for us to have this this right, this proper, this true expectation and picture of the journey. And it's a strange journey. It's a strange journey, isn't it? Why this journey? Why this coming from glory into the grime? Why coming from life into death? Only to return to life. Only to turn, return to glory. Well, think about that story I began with. That story of my brother and his family coming home. But instead of looking at it from his perspective, perspective, look at it from the perspective of my dad, okay? Imagine my dad, he's at home in, in the family house where we grew up and he's in his big wing-backed chair that he seems to like so much at the moment. Imagine him getting up, leaving that comfort and heading out the door. He jumps in his car and he drives down the motorway. He gets to Junction 34. He turns off and he finds himself on these weird little windy roads that lead to and he finally reaches Cardiff Airport. Where what? Where his journey is finished? No, not where his journey is finished. It's where he goes to collect that which he is bringing home, to collect 
my brother and his family so that he can return them to where he has come from, to where they are supposed to be. It might seem strange that Jesus' journey starts and finishes in the same place, but, but here's the difference. When Jesus concludes his journey, when he, when he has passed through death into eternal life, into glory, once he's enthroned again, he's enthroned now with a people, with a family, with a possession, with a creation who turns and looks and with one voice declares, there is our king, how glorious. And Jesus's journey, that journey through death into glory was undertaken so that it could become our glory. Our journey from death to life, from crime to glory. Let me just read to you one final passage, this time from Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. And he very much does describe our journey in terms of Jesus's journey speaks about those who were dead in trespasses and sins those who were um, students to citizens under another ruler he says that we all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires we were by nature children who were under god's wrath but God being that one who is rich in mercy, rich in love, he has made us alive. Made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead. He has invited us and brought us along that journey. If we follow Jesus to Jerusalem, we will find life in his death. But... It says, we being saved by grace will also be raised up with him and seated with him in the heavens. That was Jesus' journey and it is our journey if we follow after him. All too often we have that partial story and that romanticised idea of what it is like to follow Jesus. We aren't special in that regard. The disciples always missed bits or or hoped it might be easier and quicker than it was. But if we want to inherit Christ's glory, then we've got to be willing to follow him via his grave. We're called to follow in his footsteps, right the way to Jerusalem and to the Calvary that came afterward, to share in his rejection. There are no shortcuts for us on this route to life and to glory. But here's the wonderful news, that if we follow him to Calvary, then yes, we will be rejected. Yes, we will be whipped. Yes, we will be spat at and scorned, metaphorically for most, but literally for a few. But that is the route, that is the pathway that leads to the fountain of life. Now, I started with that story of my brother heading home and the things that he had to go through to get there. Jesus' story is a story of going home too, isn't it? And our story can be a story of heading home if we are following Jesus. Let me finish with three statements. One, it is not a short journey. 
is a journey that requires patience. Two, it is not an easy journey. It's a journey that requires endurance. But three, it is a worthwhile journey. It's a journey that leads to deep and lasting satisfaction. Where was Jesus going? Where was he heading? Sit yourself down, ask and answer that question. Where are you heading? Who are you following? What do you expect along the way? Follow Jesus and you will find life. You will find glory. Though the, the road is marked and paved with suffering and death, we know in Christ where it leads. It leads to satisfaction. I pray that you would join us on that journey. And for those of us who are already walking it, that we would walk it faithfully, faithfully following our teacher, our Lord, our Saviour, our God, Jesus Christ. Amen.